Father, we are just overwhelmed by your love as we're in this season, a season where we're reminding of you coming and existing and dwelling with us. God, as we uh, get a chance to find joy in you today and also look forward to celebrating you tomorrow, uh, let not the distractions consume our minds. Let not the gifts that we want to go purchase or the meals that we want to go cook distract us from being encouraged by you during this moment. Guide us, Lord, that we might be able to hear a word from you as your word speaks to us. Remove me. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Family, uh, I'm one of the pastors here. I'm Leon Stevenson. I'm excited to celebrate you. <laughs> Amen. I'm excited to celebrate the Lord with you today. Uh, we're going to do a few things. Uh, and we want to give you some house rules. Rule number one, uh, you are joining us in worship, so feel free to respond as the Lord might lead you, unless that means you need to cartwheel in the front. Uh, cartwheel, save for, the, for later. Uh, if you want to uh, ask a question, you can feel free to do so. We do that in service. You can ask a question. We just ask that it be related to something that can encourage the entire congregation. If it's a little something that you want to know specifically that might bless you, I would love to talk to you after service. Um, and lastly, we are going to be diving in the Bible. So behind me on this screen will be the scriptures, but also in front of you should be a Bible. So if you could grab that and turn to Luke which is the third book in the New Testament. We're going to go to Luke chapter 15. Because we've been talking about these four different aspects that help us understand Jesus during this Advent season. We talked about peace. We talked about hope. We talked about love. And now we are talking about joy. And Luke chapter 15, we're going to start with verse 1. Luke chapter 15 I believe these in order for us to understand and get this concept of joy we got to understand how God views joy and and the background of joy so we can properly experience joy but you got to learn what joy is from God's perspective and Luke is that third book in the New Testament we start at chapter 15 with verse 1 now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What, a man of, what, a man, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. We get a, a, a clear depiction of what brings God joy. You and I being saved brings God joy. And it's so much joy. It's this picture of, of something that we all know well. It's a picture of a party. 
Now, I might have been two when I can remember my first party, but I remember that thing clearly because I got pictures that remind me, but I also kind of remember the taste of when I took the birthday cake and just shoved it all in my face. And everybody erupted in the room and everybody had fun because it was a party and we were celebrating. This image here is one of God saying, man, one of my children has chosen me. And for that reason, I will celebrate. And the beauty is that nobody misses out in heaven. Nobody misses out celebrating when, when people get saved. But Jesus does something, something kind of cool with his wordplay. He says something in that, in that last verse, verse 7. He says that a person, that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Righteous person needing no repentance. That's a, a, a play on words. It's, it's, it's kind of something that can't happen. Like, like can you be a, a, a dog and a cat? <laughs> a cat, right? You can't, I don't know, I got the kids in the room. You can't be both of those, can you? Can, that's like a, a cog or a dat, right? Like it just doesn't exist, right? You can't, you can't be both. You can't be in California and in Ohio at the same time. It, it, some, it's, not, it's not possible. That, that, that just doesn't make sense, right? That's the point he's trying to communicate here. And the Pharisees are missing it. He's saying, you can't be a righteous person and not have repentance be a part of who you are. Right? You can't be righteous and not have repentance be a part of your DNA. And the Pharisees are so hardy, think they got it all together so much. They miss it. They miss it. They think he's applying it to others. So this is a clear example of, of, of a shepherd who's saying, I am going to go and find my sheep and I will do anything to find them. But when I do, I shall rejoice. But the reason why I'm rejoicing is because my sheep has been found. And it's a good illustration of, of God showing us that his people are why he, one of the ways he experiences joy is when his people go from being lost to saved. We get another Example of it in the next verses. We're still in chapter 15. Start with me on verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors and saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You starting to see a little theme here? You starting to notice some little bit of consistency here? The end result is the same. That, that, that this person is going to look and search, and there's going to be great joy when a person repents. So much joy that they say, hey, come, I'm going to throw a party, come rejoice with me. But the emphasis here is a little bit different. The emphasis one is one of value. That, that even though this is just a tenth of the total value, this woman doesn't dismiss it. She doesn't say, oh, I have $10. I lost a dollar. Oh, well, I'm good. No. She lights a lamp. 
and that lights a lamp is that she does, there's no windows in the house so she illuminates the house starts looking under everything she can to find but one dollar why because it's valuable to her it's a reminder of the value that every single aspect of what she has it means a lot to her reminds us of how valuable we are to God that, that, we are, that we are treasured, that he loves his redeemed people dearly and desires for us to be saved. And in that salvation, he can say, praise ye. He, he can rejoice with all of heaven that we are saved. But maybe you've been saved for a bit. Or maybe you already got saved some time ago. And so you might be feeling like, well, how's this Christmas message for me? Well, cool. We, we, we now shift a little bit towards the third example. Because as you know, at some point, God turns off a of Mac and starts coming down your street. So here we go. Verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. Let me pause for a second to make sure we understand this concept. It's, it, it's also, it's kind of highlighting difference for us between joy and pleasure. You see, pleasure is something that, that you get to try to feed yourself and give yourself a sense of peace. It's something that you in and of yourself seek out to try to provide a peace that only God can give. But the, but the reality is that in pleasure, you will need more pleasure. So if you find your greatest rest in sports, guess what? You're going to need another hoop game tomorrow. If you find your greatest joy when you actually feel a sense of peace in eating, you're going to move from pound cake to 7-Up cake to cheesecake to upside-down cake. You're going to keep it moving. Why? Because, because you will always have that appetite, you know? If it is in other things that can't replace Jesus, your hunger will never be satisfied. And so here we see, even though he starts out with a bunch of dough, sooner or later it's gone. Why? Because there's always something to spend money on. There's always something to spend money on. So he squanders it in reckless living. Verse 15, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And when he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, uh, and no one gave him anything. Y'all getting this image? 
man that, that daddy had all the wealth and see, he stands to inherit wealth. He says, Dad, I want to get my inheritance right now. I don't want to wait till later till you die. Can I get my dough now? Daddy says, cool. Here you go. He goes, loses all the money. When he loses all the money, the economy tanks and now he finds himself next to pigs feeding them wishing he can eat what the pigs are eating. How quickly the, 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 the seasons change. How quickly the, the experience changes when your hope, when your rest, when your peace, when your love is rooted in pleasure. You see how crazy life can get when you allow the, the, the things externally to determine your joy. Now he's wishing that he could eat next to a next to a pig. This, I, I think it would be safe to say this, this brother probably hit his rock bottom. But verse 17 says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Man. It's a great example of a heart that's repentant. You see, Jesus is showing in the first two examples, hey, what brings God joy is when a person is saved. Now we start to get an image of seeing what salvation begins to look like. It's not just a mental agreement that, okay, I did wrong. That's a good first step. It was a good first step to start with acknowledging the wrong that you've done and the sin that you've committed against a holy God. But at some point, we have to act on that acknowledgement. We have to repent, truly turn away and choose to not indulge in that sin anymore. And I love that he doesn't just get this and then just wait for his dad to come find him. He doesn't just get this and just wait patiently until somebody sends a memo to dad. He says, no, I'm going to go find dad and I'm going to make this right. And so in verse 21, and the son said to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand. And shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this. My son was dead and is alive again and he was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. There's a key verse that I forgot to, to read and it was verse 20. Because it says and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still long off, his father saw him. And felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Family, you, you may not have picked it up, but I'm trying to show a few themes. Theme number one is that what brings God glory is believers being saved and having repentant hearts. But also, I want you to get that in all of these examples we see God pursuing us. Yes. You see, in the first example, 
A shepherd loses a sheep. He doesn't say, oh, hope he, I hope he's all right. <laughs> hope he can handle them wolves. That brother better run. No, he leaves 99, goes and finds that one, comes back, rejoices. The shepherd pursues the lost. Again, we see it with the, with the woman who loses one-tenth of the coin she has. She does everything she can to find it. Pursuing. Trying to find that lost. And here again, we even see the, the father here, we're, we're going to see again later too, how he responds. But he sees his son in the distance. And the first thing he could have said was, so what would you do with the money? I gave you all this dough. What would you do? First thing he could have said was, so you got some words for me? You ready to apologize? Could have came with a hard heart. Could have, could have came and, and even could have been in the right. But how does he respond? With compassion. With compassion. Not waiting until the sun draws all the way to him, but actually running out to go meet the sun. And you know how the sun comes back, right? It would be great if we saw this as just a, a picture that was on pages. But let's be real. This son had lost all the dough. This son had been having relations with folks he shouldn't have been having relations with. This son was in a level where he probably is coming back embarrassed. Carrying shame. Carrying some guilt. And how does the father receive him? Open arms. Open arms. Family. There is nothing that you have done that is too far for God to forgive. Amen. There is nothing that you have done that is too far for God to forgive. I think Jesse introduced me to this song and it, was, it says like, bring me your hurt and bring me your shame. You know? It, it, it talks about God wanting you and all that is with you. Don't let any of that stop you from being able to experience the forgiveness that God offers. For the beauty and the joy that God experiences takes place in 24 when he says, My son was dead and is alive again. But we got to understand the father's posture even when he engages someone with a hardened heart. Let's continue to verse 25. And why are we continuing here? Because we got to understand the beauty of joy. And in understanding joy, we understand why we've received joy in Christ during Christmas. Verse 25, now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant, and he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Listen to his heart, but he was angry. And refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. Notice, no, notice how this goes. Notice how this whole situation plays out. 
Because this is an example of how you quickly can lose your joy. All right? Now, the brother leaves, squanders all his money. Nobody knows where he is. He's living a life that's somewhat jacked up. He finally comes back. Dad is thankful that he comes back, meets him as he's coming back, starts throwing a party. And all of a sudden, the older brother has made a situation about him. Don't, don't, don't you think at this moment when your brother's lost, you can't find him, you know he's hurting, that maybe you should start by saying, whew, at least he's back safe and sound. I'm glad you're back. Good to see you. Hey, Dad, let me get some of them wings. You know, like something. There's a party going on. How does he start? He starts with anger. Now, somehow, this whole situation, which was supposed to be about the brother, has been shifted. It's now about him. It's now about, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait a minute. You celebrating for him? But notice, there's a party going on. And at a party, everybody celebrates. And the dad looks up and sees that the brother is not there. And what does the dad do? Does he stay hard and say, I can't believe I'm throwing this party and my son's not in here? No. It says that the father came out to him. The father leaves the celebration in verse 28 and again pursues the son. Even though the son is totally jacked up in the wrong, is choosing not to experience joy because he can't celebrate what's going on and what the whole family is doing, the father still pursues him. And look at, look at what the, the brother then said to try to give a little bit of street cred. He, but, but he answered in verse 29, look, these many years I've served you, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Look, look at that. Is, 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 is that the posture that seeks to, to, to celebrate and join in joy? Or is that the posture that seeks to, to, to say, I deserve. Give me mine. You owe me. I'm entitled to. You know something wrong when you're in experience and a person starts listing out all the stuff they did for you. <laughs> You know the conversation about to go south when, when somebody starts telling you everything they've ever done for you and how you should be doing that, 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 that. You see, this brother had an opportunity to experience the joy that the rest of the family was engaging in. Definitely a joy with the father because of his relationship with the father. And now, due to his anger, he can't even experience the father fully. To the point where he won't even acknowledge that his brother is his brother. What does he say? He says, uh, your son. He ain't even calling him bro no more. That dude that you had a thing in birthing, you know what I'm saying? That guy <laughs> won't even acknowledge him as his, as his fam. 
You see the deep-rooted anger and how it steals our joy? But then, then he says in verse 31, and he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Do you see that he's trying to tell them, son, my relationship with you I'm trying to extend everything I have to you. You are my son. All that I have is yours. But the moment you take your gaze off of our relationship and now try to compare it to your brothers, your joy is going to be stolen. You see how deadly that is when we start trying to keep up with the Joneses, when we start trying to compare our blessings to other people, when we start trying to look at what they got and what we should have, when we start trying to, well, man, why do I keep going through all this? And they never know. God is trying to get us to keep our focus on him. And the moment that we begin to try to list out what God owes us, the moment that we begin to feel entitled or begin to look at others and put our focus on what others have versus the relationship that we have with the Father, our joy is stolen. But also our ability to bring God joy through a heart of repentance and enjoying his salvation is stolen. And so why do I, why do I talk about this during a time, during a Christmas time? Because family, we want you to experience the joy that God offers. And God has consistently demonstrated his pursuit of his people. He shows it in the first example, pursuing one sheep. He shows it with the example of the woman, pursuing one, one item. He shows it with the one uh, coin. He shows it with the example uh, of the, of the uh, prodigal son. By pursuing the, the older brother who has a hardened heart. And you might be saying, but man, Pastor, I don't feel pursued. This God who's real, I don't feel pursued. You're talking a lot about joy. Where is this joy? And I want to say to you clearly that God pursued you when he brought Jesus to live among humanity. He says, I'm still, I'm pursuing you because I'm providing you access to salvation and repentance again. That same story where I rejoice in people being saved and having repentant hearts, I want that to be your story. But it starts with you acknowledging that God came to dwell among us and do so during this Christmas season. So we celebrate because God didn't provide us joy through a process, through an entity, through a method. He provided us joy through a person. And it is Christ. And so we get to celebrate Advent, all the different aspects of Advent. And especially uh, this Sunday, we're focusing on joy because we need to be reminded of having hearts of repentance and truly, if, 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 if you haven't repented before the Lord, that's saying, Lord, I'm sorry for what has happened in my heart. Will you forgive me of this certain sin? If you haven't repented in some time, let's just be honest. We know something wrong. 
I was about to tail somebody off in the checkout line. Oop, Lord, let me, let me, let me, let me get you to receive your forgiveness because I shouldn't have been about to, about to go off on her like that. I, 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 I popped my kid in the head because the way they was acting up. And Lord, please forgive me because they was wilding, but it didn't deserve all that. Father, I was, I looked at something I shouldn't have been looking at. And Lord, I was, I started lusting. And Father, thank you for not letting me act on that, but keeping my mind pure is what I want to do before you. Please forgive me, Father. What? If we, if we don't have reasons to repent, something wrong. So let that be a part of our posture. But, but if this concept of repentance is new to you, that means this, this opportunity of salvation is real for you. That means as he's presenting this opportunity for you to be one of those coins that he finds, will you allow him to see you shining? Will you allow your heart to be given over to him? Will you allow you who are lost to be found? Family, we are going to shift towards a time of communion and then continue with a little bit more encouragement from the scriptures. So don't get ready to leave after communion. Uh, But we are going to shift towards a time of communion uh, and a time of tithe and offering. Lord, we thank you that we get a chance to be reminded of such an act of love. Such an amazing act that we were able to benefit from. It, it seems to end at the cross, but we know it started when you came to dwell among us. We are thankful, Lord, for the far-reaching work of the cross, that it reaches back to deal with the sin of all of humanity, but it reaches forward to make all things new when you return again. We are thankful in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Fam, go ahead and have a seat. We have a couple of more things to share. So I was, um, I've only really had one, and, and one of the things we were trying to do is help us understand the beauty of joy, which was our last Advent Sunday celebration, because we did hope, love, peace, and joy. It was each Sunday. But tomorrow we celebrate Christmas. And because we're not going to be worshiping tomorrow uh, together, I just wanted to have a, a, a short encouraging word to, to be settling with you as you worship at home tomorrow. Now, I myself uh, and many of you guys remember this, but I've only had actually one uh, like life-threatening situation I was in a, in a car accident some time ago, and that was the only personal life-threatening situation I've had. But the Bible speaks to a life-threatening situation, and it gives us some, some, some things that come to mind. It's, it's quick to be able to, to have some mental images of this term in the Bible that we get from the book of John. Yep, it's the most famous verse that you've heard all the time, John 3.16. That you might see it everywhere. You see it on T-shirts. You go to the Goodwill. You find it on handkerchiefs, hats, socks, gloves, John 3.16. But don't let John 3.16 be so common that it loses its meaning. Because there's one word in in there that I think develops uh, something should come to mind quickly. And it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, 
but have eternal life. Perish. What, what mental image comes to mind? Maybe for you it's the image of someone walking on a mountain and as they step, they step the wrong place, fall off a ravine and are perishing. They're falling. Maybe for you it's the image of someone that is swimming and all of a sudden they begin sinking and have just a gasp of air left, but they are sinking, perishing towards death. Maybe it's your friend walking, texting, about to cross Mac Ave, and they don't see that a bus is coming right as they are walking, perishing. I think some, some quick images can come to mind when we think of the idea of perishing. But, but what is clear here is that it leads to death. And while I have been, uh, no, I haven't been in a situation where a person saved me, I've seen enough Hallmark movies to know that whenever somebody is perishing and somebody saves them, they respond with joy. They respond with thankfulness. They respond with praise. You helped me. You saved me. You did it. I owe my life to you. Is the Hallmark slogan. Well, I, I, I love that John makes sure that none of us get it twisted. That we don't think other folks are perishing. And we good. Somebody else is perishing, but we cool. Because he uses a term in about the, what is that, fifth word? For God so loved the world. The whole world was perishing. Which means that, that if any of us were falling off a cliff, actually because of perishing, we all were falling together. And one thing I know about salvation is if you need help, you can't save yourself. The reality of perishing is one where you cannot save yourself. We all were perishing and in need of being saved. And that's why I love the book of John. I'm not going to be too long. I'm about to wrap up. But one of the things I love about John is that he's a little different than the other biblical writers. They want to give you like a lineage, some proof so that you know the Christ is coming. So that you can testify that this is Jesus. John is trying to help you see, hey, there was a reality of Jesus before he became a baby. There was a reality of Jesus as God before he became, came to this earth. Look in chapter 1, starting at verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Basically saying, if anything exists, it exists in me, through me. I have always been. I always will be. A clear understanding that Jesus, here being the word, existed forever. Before. Forever will be. But, he, but he's letting us know here. That not only did he always exist, but he also came to exist with us. 
That's why we sing that song just now, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. So now, this God who has always existed takes on human form to dwell among us. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. It's not because of the gifts. It's not because of the, the, the ham that we're about to go eat. And if you're eating ham, call me up. Our family will be over. Uh, it's not because of that. It's because God took on human form to come and dwell and live with us. So it says in John, same chapter, chapter 1, but in verse 9, it says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming in the world. So we each week have been lighting these candles. One candle represents love. One candle represents hope. One candle represents peace. And one candle represents joy. And the center candle represents Christ. Christ being the light of the world. So you see this verse says the true light being Christ, which gives light to everyone. So now we're actually going to give you guys some candles. And we want to do something that's symbolic. We want to have a, a, an experience that reminds you of the beauty of this verse. Because this light, we're going to start by lighting the center candle, that of Jesus. And then off of that light, I will light one of your candles. And you will light one another's candles. And it reminds us of the fabric, the interwoven nature of Christ's body and Christ's church. But that we all draw our light from the light. We all get our light from the one and only light, which is Jesus. So you'll get one of those candles and then we'll start it up. In verse 14, he says this last part. He says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So as we light this last candle. Representing Christ, we invite you to stand and then please be careful with your little beautiful children as they will be having and holding candles and we light one candle from that of Christ to share with everybody. <laughs> 